0: Welcome to Point with Daryl Jones, speaker, author, and lead pastor of the Rock Fellowship Church in Miami, Florida, and president of Point Ministries. Our goal at Point Ministries is to point you to the word of God, where Jesus is the point. Today's message is from the Power Series, where Pastor Daryl teaches how God uses his power, his Holy Spirit, to fulfill his will and mission on earth. Now let's join him for today's message.
1: And we are in John chapter 3. This is the gospel according to John chapter 3. And I'm starting at verse 1. Today's message title is True Life's Necessity. True Life's Necessity. So often we can get confused on the difference between necessity and want. There are necessities in creation and there is a necessity when it comes to us And the kingdom of God. And we see Jesus communicate this to Nicodemus at night of what is necessary to see and enter into the kingdom of God. Then he starts off with this what? We see this picture painted of this historical narrative where Nicodemus comes by night. We know a few things about Nicodemus. One, we know Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We know Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel, and he's regarded as a high teacher based off of Jesus' coming to him, calling him the teacher of Israel. So we're talking about a very knowledgeable person. We also know that he's a curious person because... The, He's one of the people and one of the Pharisees that's actually intrigued and wondering who Jesus is. He doesn't quite understand who Jesus is, but he knows something special is occurring based off of what Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry. We also know that his questioning is also a pull and a tug within his person and within his position because he's visiting Jesus at night by himself. You know, we, we, we do cloaked things at night, but I, I want to say something to you that the Apostle John inspired text is communicating it as well as showing us that this actually occurred at night but it's playing on something that's a big theme within John's gospel in dealing with darkness and light and this context is couched in such a way that it's communicating Nicodemus's uh, position from the standpoint as he didn't fully embrace the light yet he had come to know the light yet he, he's still in darkness, and that's what's driving his questioning. Now, he starts this off in John's Gospel in John 1, when it says, you know, light came into the world, but its own didn't receive him. He's a Jew. They didn't receive him. He hadn't received Jesus yet. But he's asking questions, and he says, look, I see what you're doing, Jesus. We, a few of us, we see what's going on, and we like, God has to be with you because no one can do what you're doing. He recognizes God's at work, but he doesn't recognize who Jesus is because he even calls him a rabbi. He calls him teacher. He hadn't fully recognized who Jesus is. And the questions are swirling in his mind because he's a teacher. He knows the Old Testament scriptures and he's confused on what he's seeing and what he already knows. And in his experience And Jesus, response is one that kind of makes me laugh. He says, teacher, we, we know God got to be with you. You couldn't do the things you're doing unless God was with you. And Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, you may be, we may be used to that, but if you read that for the first time, you'd be like, what in the world? He asked nothing about the kingdom of God. He's like, what is Jesus talking about? Now, we have learned, if you're reading through John in chapter 2, we are told that Jesus knows the heart of man. Jesus knows what goes on in the thoughts of man because that's part of. Jesus' omniscience, he knows what's going on inside of us and what we're thinking and how we're feeling. So he knows, and myself, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I have this high Christology and what I think about Jesus, and I'm saying, Jesus, yeah, he just replying because he knows what's on the inside. But it's much more than what's going on. uh, It's much more is going on here than when I actually think that initially about Jesus knowing. Jesus makes a comment, and his response to Nicodemus is, questioning and comments is one that's kind of like this. Oh, you think you know what you're looking at, but you have no idea. You think you see, but really, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think you might know what's going on. You think you might have an idea. Let me tell you something. You have no idea yet, and the only way you're going to even come close to having an idea, something must occur, and what is that? You must be born again. This. Statement that Jesus says is as ludicrous as it sounds to Nicodemus because he's like, hold on, man. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. I cannot enter into my mother's womb again and be born like that. That can't happen. What what are you talking about? Jesus said if you want to come to understand, if you want to see what the prophet spoke of. You must be born again. Now, this born again is something that's not fully just physical. He's speaking of something, that, uh, something that's actually a little higher. It's, it's meta. It's, it's super. It's what we would call supernatural. Because Jesus says the same thing three different ways. Born again, born of water and the Spirit, born of the Spirit. These are not three different births, but they are the same birth that he speaks of in three different ways. And he chooses that language specifically because he's actually pointing Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, to the Old Testament text. That's why he says, hold on, hold on. You're the teacher of Israel. You should know these things. If you want access to this kingdom, you must be born again. Now, I got to highlight this. Because that born again, we read that in our English text. Again, that's actually a word, and John's gospel does this a lot. A lot of his words have what we call, uh, in, in, in biblical studies, a double entendre. It's like he uses both meanings at the same time. See, that born again, again, also is the same word that's used for above, now, it was more used of in the context of born again, but Jesus is also speaking of this birth comes from above. It's not something natural. And that's why he says that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. This born again, he's speaking of is a birth from above. It's something that's supernatural. It's a work of God. It is not a work of man. It is not something that me and you just want and we can do it. It's something that God alone does and it is the move of his spirit it is the enter into the person that is now born again it is a new birth it is a new existence it is a new life that's given and he says Was born of water and spirit, that Ezekiel passage, is born of the spirit. And it goes to and fro. As the wind goes to and fro, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So is the spirit. He's letting Nicodemus know mankind has no control over the Holy Spirit. You can't give commands to the Holy Spirit. You can't tell the Holy Spirit what you want. You can't tell the Holy Spirit to come here and he's going to bow down to you and obey. This is the new birth. This is what God had promised. This is what Jesus is saying right now that he's making available. And you may be sitting there like, okay, that's the what, but, but how does this happen? Jesus followed up with how, like, okay, if, if, it's, if I have to be born again and it's a work of God, then how does God do it? Verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus speaks this new birth is a work of God and how God institutes it, how we receive this eternal life, how we partake of this new birth is to believe in the person that Jesus calls the son of man. Because this son of man in verse 13, he says, This is the one that's descended from heaven. When he says, No one ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man, and then he goes, Moses, as Moses lifted up, so that believes it, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This son of man, this same son of man, in both of them, he's speaking the uh, reality that was waited upon in Daniel's prophecy that one like a son of man would come and would have all authority from the ancient of days, would be the Lord himself, he says, I'm that one. <laughs> no one ascends, the one who descends, he's saying that if you're going to understand anything he- heavenly, if you're going to understand anything I'm saying, you've got to trust the one who has descended. The one who has come from heaven. Now, why this is important. Jesus is making these statements and he's saying, look, your problem in knowledge, your problem in information, your problem is belief. Will you believe? I know you know the scripture. What Jesus is laying on the table now is, will you believe me, Jesus is saying. Will you trust me? And he says, the how you receive this new birth is to trust in my being lifted up. Now, we got we to gotta really understand what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes people, you know, use this and we think of this lifted up as just this exaltation. But remember, John's double entendre, he speaks both ways. This lifted up is both physical and immaterial. Jesus says as analogous, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He says that when judgment came upon the people of Israel and they looked to their staff, they received deliverance. If you want, if we want a deliverance from the just and righteous judgment of God, we must look to the cross of Christ. When he was lifted up above the earth nailed to a cross to die for the sins of the world this is how we receive this new birth this looking to this is another way of what he says here believe in him this look to is to believe it is to trust not just know about because a text says but actually to place our full confidence in the work jesus christ has done He says, what is true life's necessity? The new birth of the Spirit. How do we receive that new birth? It is by placing our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What he has done. What he has provided. This is why in John's gospel in chapter 1 verse 12, he says this. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. John already been setting the tone from chapter one in his prologue. Now we've seen in chapter three, it's unpacking it even more. That we who place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in his name, his finished work. He said that God gives us the right, he gives us the authority, he gives us. The privilege of becoming his child, his son, his daughter, not just a creation, but now his child, speaking to relationship and intimacy, speaking to inheritance, what we have access to because he's our father. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn or deserve entrance into the kingdom of God. It is fully trusting in Jesus. And in that trust, we are told, we are guaranteed the reception of the Holy Spirit, that he would indwell us. And that new covenant promise is not that he would come and he would go. That new covenant promise in Jesus Christ is that he would indwell us forever. You can't stand back and watch God and all of a sudden think you're going to understand God. No, it's believe God. And once you believe God, then all of a sudden what he does makes sense. Comes by faith in his finished work. Nicodemus was being challenged to trust Jesus. He was being challenged to recognize by faith, who Jesus is as the promised son of man. And that is why Jesus keeps pointing him to the Old Testament text. He said, you believe the Old Testament text? All right, now look at me. Believe. This is how God brings about the new birth. I mean, it's not just because you want it. It's altogether trusting. But then Jesus... In the text, we find out why. Why has God done all this? Verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light is coming to the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by god you know love drives you to do a lot of stuff love moves this is what i love he says why has done god done all this why is god making salvation available why has god promised his spirit the reason is, it's a demonstration of his love. It's a demonstration. He says, for God loved the world like this. I love that because the word he uses there is not so much about how much God loves. That For God so loved the world, that word so is the Greek word hutos. It basically just means like this, thus. So it's not God loved the world so much. No, God loved the world like this. Like it's about a demonstration. It's not his feeling. It's about a demonstration. He said, God has proved his love. God is showing love in the giving of his one and only son. That whoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I want us to hang out just a quick second on this word world. Because in John's gospel, even John's writings, the world When he was world, that's primarily speaking of enemies of God. God loved his enemies, those who have rebelled against him, those who have spit in his face, those who have stabbed him in the back, those that have looked at God in the face and said, whatever, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. God demonstrated his love for them, that he gave his most precious gift, and that was his son to die for the enemy. So that the enemy turned to the Son of Man, that the enemy believes in that provision, in that sacrifice, in the giving of Jesus Christ, and that enemy now becomes a child. This is amazing. I mean, Jesus didn't come into a neutral world to pick out the good people and leave the bad people. Jesus came into a world that everybody was enemies, and Jesus said, I love you, come. I saying, Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. True life's necessity, you'll be born again. How? Through faith in Christ. Why? The demonstration of God's love. God's love is strong because the world is enemies to God. They have turned their backs. We, in our humanity, turned our backs on God. We told God, get out of your seat. I'm going to put myself on your throne and I'm going to sit on the throne of my life or I will fill your throne and the things that you I don't even want what you had to offer I want what the world has to offer and this is why he says this he says people that reject God is they didn't reject they love the darkness Isn't know what he says they don't come to the light because they love the darkness people are not rejecting your explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you didn't give a good enough argument for them to trust Jesus. People reject the gospel because they love their sin. They don't want to give it up. They love love the life of lying and pride. They love their pornography. They love their cheating. They love their stealing. They love the world. And that's why they run from the light. They don't want it. What's interesting is how Jesus uses this language, though, the one who comes to the light is the one that's believing And it's not because their deeds are good, not because they've earned it. It's not because they're good people that they come to the light. It's saying it's it's connecting their coming to the light with their regeneration and their faith in Jesus Christ, that any work that they do is a work of God. It's what God has accomplished, not they themselves. God the Father has done this to demonstrate his love for a humanity that doesn't deserve his love. That's why this is such a great salvation. That is why this is called grace. Reward given that we don't deserve. That's why it's called mercy. The judgment with hell that we really do deserve. And it's not a picture that God is casting aside people that want to be with him. God is trying to snatch back people that don't want to be with him. He said they, they love the darkness. This is the judgment. Jesus Christ, when He came in His earthly ministry, it wasn't to condemn the world; it was to save the world. He says, He says, the one who has rejected the Son, they condemned already. Condemned already. It's done deal. That's why it's so important when we speak about faith in Christ, it's not about what your mama did and how you, your grandma used to take you to vacation Bible school and and all these things. It's about have you trusted Jesus? And sometimes we want this just this what we like to call in our vernacular day, this this, just this charismatic emotive experience of the Holy Spirit no the birth of the Holy Spirit is wrought and brought about by true faith in Jesus Christ and we're gonna look at over the next few weeks what does it mean to have the indwelling Holy Spirit and what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of misunderstanding on that and people doubting their salvation they're doubting their standing with God because they believe some lies about the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Today, we're making foundational that the indwelling Holy Spirit comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. You can't plead and you can't beg for it. It is trust Jesus in his finished work on the cross. this 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 is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is why you have people go through what we call the Romans road. You know Romans three twenty three, you know all of sin and falling short of the glory of God five eight. He says, but God demonstrated His love for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Six twenty three. 23, you know the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then you go to the big one in Romans ten. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart, Jesus died. You confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord. Then you go in verse 10, it's so important. He says, For it's the mouth you confess, justify the heart, believe, saved. So important. Have you trusted? And by trusting Jesus, you can know you have. The Holy Spirit that has sealed you, that is with you forever and ever and ever, that you may now know that you will be with the Lord, that you know that you are a child of God, and you know you'll be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. True life necessity. This this is why on Sundays, and some churches do it every Sunday, some do it once a month, some may do it once a quarter, but you you know when we take communion as a church, when we gather together as a church We partake of what we call the Lord's Supper, the communion, the Eucharist. When we take the bread, the wafer, and we we take the cup, you know, most times grape juice. Some people still do wine. You know, we take it. It's it's symbolic. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but it's a memorial for the finished saving work of Christ on the cross that he offered himself as a sacrifice. He offered himself as a substitute for we who deserve God's punishment. And it's 2 Corinthians 5:21 states that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we take that bread and we take that cup, we are commemorating and memorializing and celebrating what Christ has achieved on the cross. Knowing we are saved because He has atoned for our sin. But you know what's important about that? Why? Why did Jesus use this? He uses that bread and that cup. Just as we need food and drink for physical life, we needed his sacrifice for eternal life. True life's necessity, if you want true life, it comes by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and by faith in his finished work we receive his Holy Spirit as his children to be with
0: him forever and ever and ever thank you for listening to point with Daryl Jones this was just one part from the power series where we learn how the Holy Spirit accomplishes the mission of God on earth if this ministry has blessed you and you would like to partner with Point Ministries, please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L, jones.org. Your financial generosity keeps us on the air, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. Also, if you would like to hear more from the Power Series, please visit daryljones.org. And remember, keep making Jesus the Point.